But I am very, very excited and honored to introduce to you Sean Stutz. Sean is, has served as the executive director of Focus for the last five years. Um, he has spent 25 years in ministry um, as a whole, but in April, he is going to transition um, back into church ministry at Shoreline. He's going to work at Shoreline as their pastor of adult discipleship. Um, so it's very exciting that Sean is here with us today. If you're joining us online, we feel you in this room. This room is fuller than I thought it would be, but um, um, it is very exciting that he's here. He's here with his wife, Michelle. They have four children, and two of their girls, Gabby and Anna, are here with us today as well. So if you will give, if you will clap for Sean Stutz. Good morning. It's good to be clapped for before you do anything, just in case. <laughs> no, it's good to be here, and I was joking that uh, if you're willing to come out on spring break, time change, snowpocalypse, all that stuff, then you get bonus points in the kingdom of heaven today. So yeah, <laughs> one person's like, I'll take them. <laughs> I don't know that's true, but yeah, we, we, we'll count it today. But it is exciting to be here, and I have served... Um, on the staff of Focus for five years, for the last three years as the executive director, and uh, been kind of in a, a training role before that, but uh, served as a volunteer even years prior to that. But Focus, if you haven't heard from Jim Ball and many others yet, it is a prison and reentry service ministry. We foster hope for the incarcerated behind the walls uh, in three state prisons and six county jails. And then on the outside, we help people with new beginnings. Uh, through our, what we call our whole way house programs, not our halfway house programs. And those are for men and for women here in Knoxville. And it's been exciting to see what God has done over the last five years. And um, Danielle's already mentioned the three ways to give and uh, to get connected. But I also would say, uh, if you didn't see the, the banquet uh, flyer back there too, come and celebrate with us. Come and see what God has been doing. It's uh, I'm just, I've been excited because we've been preparing and of how we want to share the testimonies and be able to announce what God has done and just celebrate what has happened in the last five years, but even just in the last year. Uh, if you didn't know, there was a pandemic, so that was really tough. But uh, there was uh, a season in which we couldn't even get together and have this banquet. So this is the first time in a couple of years that we'll be able to come together and just be able to celebrate in, in that moment. So I would love for you to be there. Uh, and yes, I am transitioning back into... Uh, local church work, and it, it, there's a sense of grieving uh, when you pour your heart into something for a really long period of time. Uh, it's it's kind of like, oh my goodness, I'm I'm stepping out of this, but I'm excited for uh, where focus is going, and I'm excited for what uh, our board is deciding and praying over. And but uh, I'm excited for the role God has called me to. And so I want to get into our text today, which is in the book of John, chapter 17, but uh, I also kind of want to sprinkle in some of the, mo the ways in which God has moved and the ways in which I see God moving on a regular basis in, in the heart of focus. But I want to talk to us today about this, this phrase. I'm sure you've heard it. It's about who you know. <laughs> you ever heard that phrase? I moved to Knoxville uh, 10 years ago. Uh, from California, and I realized Knoxville is a very relationship-based town, and it's about who you know. And quickly, people would say, you're not from here, right? And I, I would just hide, and I had to find somebody who was from here. 
so that I could be with the person who you know. So it can have some negative context, but it also has some positives. And I think of some of the positives of who I know growing up. I was born in Buffalo, New York. Uh, I'm actually a Yankee, sorry. But uh, I'm a Bills fan because if you're born in Buffalo, you either become a Bills fan or you leave. Uh, so uh, we are a rabid fan base. Uh, you think the Vols have issues. We're in deep counseling. But uh, uh, I was born there. And so when in middle school, we lived outside of Kansas City. And my uncle actually was a Mercedes mechanic. And he worked on Ted Marchabroda's car, who was the offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. And we got a chance to go back to visit family. And because of who we knew, he got us on-field passes for a pregame moment uh, with the Bills. Now, this isn't a time with Jim Kelly, Andre Reed, Bruce Smith, Thurman Thomas, Don Beebe, James Lofton. And if you're like, I have no idea, I, I pity you. But if you, don't, if you do know, to be able to stand next to these men with no pads on and realize, holy cow, that man is huge. And him, he's... Thurman Thomas and Andre Reed are tossing a ball with me and my brother, and I'm like, boo, mine's blown, but because of who I knew. In high school, I had the opportunity, I thought I wanted to be in politics. Woo, boy, was that fun. The <laughs> Lord got a hold of me quick. But I went to Washington, D.C. and spent some time in D.C., and I had a chance to meet with my congressman, and I, he said, hey, come with me. We're going to go to a committee meeting. I was like, that sounds really boring, but I'm into this. And so he took me under the Capitol building. I don't know if you know this. There's a tram underneath. There's a whole train system. And so I got to go with him, and we went to this meeting, pretty, pretty dull. Uh, but then uh, the, the cool part is we walked out in the hallway, and all of a sudden there's like a rush of news media. And I'm like, what is happening? And in the hallway, I saw Ruth Bader Ginsburg accept the nomination to be a Supreme Court justice and announce it to the news. And I was like, this is crazy. I had a chance to be able to speak with Janet Reno about my views about abortion and about life and sanctity. It was, cr I mean, who I knew. Lucky. Maybe. How about this? My, my uh, uncle got a chance to hold the Stanley Cup. If you don't know what the Stanley Cup is, it's... NHL championship trophy. The team gets the trophy, but every person on the winning team gets the trophy for one day. Sounds scary, but who knows what they're going to do with it. But my second cousin is Patrick Kane of the Chicago Blackhawks, and my uncle got to be there and kiss Lord Stanley's cup and hold it for part of that day. I didn't get to go, but I'm so glad he got to go. I had a weird connection locally uh, with who I know. I had a friend of mine from California come and visit, and he said, did you know that Kane, the wrestler, is your mayor? I was like, yeah, I'm fairly aware that uh, Glenn Jacobs is our mayor. I said, we don't normally call him Kane, the wrestler. And he, he said, man, that is so cool. Like, and I said, yeah, he's, he's been very encouraging to focus, and he's called me. He's called? I said, I have his number in my phone. He goes, let's call him. I was like, no. So that's not how this works. I said, I said, he is so down to earth. Like, it's not, I said, I can't even explain to you. Like, he's just such a, he's just a great man. He's been a great support for what Focus does. But it was all about who I know. What I want to aim at in the scripture today in John 17 is that we, everybody can see that salvation and eternal life is about who you know, not just what you know. Who you know, not just what you know. If you have your Bible, uh, if you're still old school like me and like paper, uh, go ahead and do that. If not, then pull out your digital copy, and I know there's, there's scriptures on the screen. 
But you've been walking through the Gospel of John, and in the context of this, in the upper room discourse, we see that Jesus is with his disciples. He's done the washing of the feet. He's talked about the Holy Spirit. He's laid out what this vine life looks like and just the beautiful picture of abiding in him like we read about earlier and how much that he is going to send the Spirit to us to remind us of all things. And he says, you're going to face trouble in this world, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. All these components he has taught. And then we come to verse 1 of 17, and Jesus prays, and he says, When Jesus had spoken these words after he had given all these lessons, he says, He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said to the Father, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Here we see Jesus revealing his glory. He's requesting from the Father, let my glory be revealed. I've honored you, now glorify me as I have glorified you. But one, one phrase in there too is, with the glory I had before the foundation of the world. Whoa. What a bold statement. Jesus has, has referenced that he's from heaven, that he's from the Father. He's using the phrase son of man, which comes from Daniel, which would have just announced an ushering of a new kingdom. Which, and then he's given a lot of vague and cryptic messages about whether he's the Messiah or not. And he's often said, my hour has not arrived. The time has not come. And then now he says in front of the disciples in prayer, Father, the time is now. He's about to go to the cross, the great culmination of his work is about to begin. And he says, Father, glorify me with the glory I had before. I mean, this is with the angels in heaven in his full divinity. He wants the glory of all to be seen. That he and the Father are one and they share in glory and mission in life. I can't even imagine what the disciples must have been thinking or how they would have fathomed that moment and what he's saying. My head would be swimming like, wait a minute, what? The glory before the world began, how old are you? And just the before Abraham I was now gets a little further. Before time I was. Jesus is sitting there revealing his glory. And when we come to the season of Lent, that's what we do. We commemorate and we celebrate what Jesus has revealed to us through the cross and through his life. You know, through focus, I get an opportunity to see a revealing God. I teach a class on Friday afternoons at 1 o'clock in the Knox County Jail. And I get to go in and I, I work with men who have signed up for program and some of them have known much about Jesus and have stepped away from it. Some of them know nothing. Some of them are just really confused. But there's this moment when you see God just pulls down the veil and reveals who he is. Much like the men on the way to the road to Emmaus, they, they have been walking with Jesus. They've been around Jesus. They know the culture of Knoxville. They know the things of Jesus, the church of Jesus. But then Jesus himself reveals his glory and these men, it's 
unbelievable to watch them see the glory of God for the first time. Men and women to come into a God that's constantly revealing his nature. From the very beginning, it says, in the beginning, God created. Step one, he reveals himself. And he reveals himself through his prophets, through his word, through his son, through his church, through his people. God is a revealing God. And it's so fun to be on the ride in the jail and watch. We, we can lay the table and put the curriculum and do all this stuff. But when Jesus just reveals himself and to see a man who says, I'm about to face 25 years in prison and I feel like my life is over. But at the same time, I feel more free and alive than I've ever felt in my entire life. And I'm trying to grieve one and embrace the other because I've met Jesus. That's the story of Jason two weeks ago. How has God revealed himself to you? You know, if, if Lent is a moment when we are letting go of some of the earthly pleasures so that we can hold on to and grasp some of those divine moments, then how is God in this season revealing himself to you? Where's the places where you've caught glimpses of his glory? Do you savor those? Are you looking for them? Or are we so caught by what's in the world that we haven't seen him. That old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, what? And look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth, what? Will grow strangely dim. It's fun when we get to see the things here grow dim and we see Jesus come alive. He reveals himself in great glory. Not only does he do that, but he tells them, I'm going to grant you eternal life. <laughs> Amazing. With the revealing glory comes rich authority. I think about the authority of Jesus, and it reminds me in, in Revelation when, when John is writing, and he says, who is worthy to take up the scroll, to break the seals, to unroll the scroll? Who, and there was no one found worthy until Jesus shows up on the scene, right? There's no one worthy but him. No one else has the authority. I was reading in Mark this week in chapter 1, and it says that Jesus takes over from John the Baptist, and he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then it goes on, and it says that he began to teach people, and they were just stunned because he taught as one who had authority. And then it shows that he's healing people left and right, and then he has authority over the body, and he has authority over demons, and he has authority over the soul, and people are just amazed and stunned at his authority. But I'm just kind of wondering, if it's his kingdom, <laughs> then he pretty much has rule and reign. And yet, how many times am I still amazed that Jesus has authority, and the places that he has authority in my life is my whole life, <laughs> Jesus comes in and says, I have authority here. And you're like, whoa, I'm not really ready for you to kind of come in and do that yet. I'm kind of ruling this little section of my world. When, when I'm ready, I'll give it back. Let me know how that works out. We've all been there, right? But Jesus has rich authority. But in his authority, look what he says. He says, I have given authority over all flesh. All humanity, past, present, future, all mankind, all humankind, for all of eternity, I have been given authority to grant them eternal life. Life to the full, life with no end, life satisfied by Jesus Christ alone, a life that surpasses death, a life that begins now. 
I grew up in a faith tradition that I was taught, do you want to get saved? Do you want to inherit eternal life when you die? And I know that wasn't the message that was supposed to be kind of relayed, but that's what I heard. What a beautiful moment when I realized I can obtain that now. I can be fully alive in the kingdom now. There's great friction in my flesh and there's great friction in the world and there's horrible sins that I have to wrestle with, but I can experience the beauty of eternity and eternal life now. Often related to the fact that, you know, when it takes a rocket to shoot off the planet, which, just forgive me, like I was a kid who watched NASA things and now we're shooting rockets and we're recycling them and they're landing back in the same spot. When I saw that, I thought, okay, maybe Elon Musk is up to something. <laughs> it's insane. But the amount of energy and force that it takes for a rocket to leave the planet is huge. And yet when it's gone, it takes a little bit to go a long way. In my life, I experienced great friction and resistance in the flesh. But it's still eternal life. There will come a day when I die and there will be great release from that friction, and I'll be able to go a long way in an eternal direction with very little energy. And I look forward to that moment. Jesus has invited us into eternal life. Eternal life. At Focus, I see men and women choose to receive this gift often. Not just in the sense of that I'm going to get saved today and surrender to the kingdom and join the journey and be a part of this relationship with Christ, but also in the sense that I'm going to choose what is life, not what is not. Jesus has the authority to satisfy the soul, and I meet men and women who have tried to satisfy their soul with so many other things, whether it's drugs, money, relationships, power, you name it. And I'll many times meet somebody who said, I've tried everything but Jesus, why not? <laughs> and you may see well, that seems a little resigned. That seems a little cavalier. I'll take it. How many times do we try everything but? Where is it that Jesus is pressing into you and saying, how are you satisfying your soul with something other than what's life, other than what's eternal? Jesus is good to show us that life is satisfied in him. The men and women in our reentry programs, they come out of jail and they've had these moments inside for the most part where we've created this holistic relationship. And so we're trying to, on the holistic pathway, on the outside, capture them and say, now let's keep living in this joy that you had on the inside, but all of life comes rushing back, doesn't it? It's like when you're on vacation and everything's perfect and wonderful and then you come back and you're like, it all rushes back. The same thing with these men and women. And when in the reentry program, it's a reminder of, remember who brings you the source of life. Remember where the living water is that wells up within you and bubbles up to eternal life. Remember which well you're drinking from. Don't dig your own cisterns. Don't satisfy with what doesn't, desire, with what doesn't satisfy. Remember Jesus. And we long for men and women mentors to come alongside and to be that pro-social support and that network of people to say, remember, remember, remember. Because as a staff, we're often like parents. And we're like, remember, remember, remember. But how many times did you want to listen to your parent? 
But then you would go to church or somewhere else and somebody else who was an encourager to you would say something, the same thing your parent would say. And then they'd come home and go, I need to do this. I was like, I've said that 8,000 times. It's like, but that one person. And so we love that network of people to come and to be that support and to say, choose life. Choose life. Finally, my favorite part. Jesus says, and this is eternal life. And this is eternal life that you go to church, that you pray, you get baptized, you get in a group, you serve, you give your tithe, you go on a mission trip, you read the whole Bible. Do, do, do. Those things are part of the life, but they're after the decision. They're after the statement that Jesus actually makes. He says, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. It seems so simple and yet we complicate it so well. You're like, Sean, I've heard this message a thousand times. Sometimes it's the simplest things that need to be reminded of the most. It's our belief. In John chapter 5, I was reading this morning, it says, because you believe and receive, you have life and life everlasting. Man. Because I know him. It's not just the acknowledgement. It's not just the uh, awareness of information. It's about a holy union. It's relating to this, the, the, the same Language that's used with a husband and wife and kind of that, that holy, sacred union that is created there. I mean, my wife's here. Can you imagine if I said, I believe Michelle exists, and I believe in the institution. I understand that there's an institution of marriage. Ta-da. How romantically wonderful is that? There's no commitment, covenant, or union in that, is there? But the joy of the union is that I am in an ongoing relationship of intimacy and fellowship with my wife. And the same thing that has been modeled for us in the scriptures that we are in an ongoing relationship of intimacy and fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Trinity. Or the Holy Spirit in that Trinity. <clears throat> I like to think of it as like that whole idea of like being invited to a square table. And that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are there. And I, along with all of humanity, have been invited to the fourth side of the table to experience and fellowship him in union and communion forever. And then we can covenant together. And he can give me work. And I can receive that and say, I'll go and do what your kingdom desires. That's union. When we receive and accept the gift of eternal life, <clears throat> we enter into that union that the, with the Father that has been made possible by the work of Jesus, the Son on the cross. The veil's been torn. The access has been granted. We've been given connection. I like to tell people when we're teaching classes on the inside, God knows you completely. All the hidden thoughts, all the fears, everything that you're thinking right now, everything you thought before, all the hairs on your head, he knows you completely, and he loves you. Nothing's going to diminish or accentuate or increase. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. And your goal 
in the life everlasting is that you get to know him more and more forever. That each day you wake up in newness and you learn something new about him. Each moment is fresh and new. Lamentations 3.23 says what? His mercies are new every morning. That's new union to be had. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says that the scripture is living and active. In other words, every single time I come to the word, it's not just some old relic, but it's fresh. And then I'm going to experience God new. And I could read the same passage over and over and over and get something fresh and new. Because my God is alive, there is new union to be had. Is that what it feels like with you, with Jesus? that you have life everlasting and that eternal life is knowing God and knowing God is just plumbing the depths of his goodness for all, all eternity. That's what my hope is. That's what we try to encourage for the men and women in our program. Sadly, they've just walked into a set of circumstances or inherited a life or made some decisions that completely derailed them. But when I hear their stories, I sit there and say, I would have made worse decisions and would have been exactly where you are. <laughs> when you're shocked by what you hear because you think, how is that that a soul can handle that? And you know that Jesus offers forgiveness and hope. And I can say, I know a God who knows you and loves you. And let me invite you to know him for all, of, for all of the rest of your life and even beyond in a kingdom he's established forever. That's the joy of being a volunteer. <laughs> this is the life that I know him. Is that true of you? There's a lot of things we know. A lot of things to know. We live in a time we're bombarded by tons of information. We know more in a day. Students will know more in a day through social media than people knew in a lifetime. And yet we're supposed to deal with all that information, much of it horrible, much of it we can't even do anything to solve. And we wonder why people wrestle with anxiety and depression. <laughs> This is the life that I know. I could know all that or I could know my Jesus and he can lead me out to the places I'm gonna go and I can just know what I need to know in those places that day. Some of my greatest freedoms is not even turning on the news. <laughs> Sean, you're disconnected from the world. You don't understand. I know that there's a, a war in Ukraine and I'm praying for it. I have a missionary friend who's in Russia I can't access funds, but I don't need to know all of it. I don't need to get amped up by sound bites. I just think we spend so much time knowing that, knowing facts and figures. I used to be a fantasy football person. Forgive me. Sorry, Lord. I could quote to you stats and numbers about how many linebackers did, or how many tight ends did what, and how many kickers, and I couldn't sometimes quote to you the verse that I read earlier that week. 
what do we want to know? <laughs> what is worth knowing, and how does knowing transform who we are? Where are you at? This is life, that you may know him. Come and know him. For some of you today, that's starting the journey. Salvation begins at a start. For some of you, that's recommitting to the journey. Maybe it's circumstances or apathy or whatever has just derailed you from the moment, and you just feel the Lord inviting you, come, come. Come, come, come. I saw a beautiful picture of the gospel in the book of Genesis through the story of Joseph the other day when Joseph is revealing himself to his brothers. And he starts to weep, and they, they're afraid for right reasons. <laughs> but he weeps, and he says, please, come close to me. That's, if you feel like you've pushed Jesus away, he's been kind of like a side thing for you, he doesn't hold a heavy hand against you. He says, please, please just come in close. Come in close. Even when we've treated him like a brother that we don't care for. Man, reignite. Come close. He's inviting. And for some of you, it's just, man, you're excited. Who needs to know about the Jesus you know? And how are they going to know? It's through your attitude and lifestyle. It's through the ways that you lead. It's through the fellowship you bring, the pause and the community you give to people no matter where you're at. And it's in the testimony of the gospel. Man, who do you need to share with what you know and who you know? Because who you know is pretty important. He's revealing. He's granting life. And man, it isn't good to know him. Amen? Hey, let's pray. You respond to the Lord today as you need. Lord, thank you for the words of your testimony in Scripture. Lord, we thank you that you are good. Father, thank you that you reveal to us your character and your nature. And you know ours, and you still make us family. Father, we love you, and may you have your way in this place. It's in Jesus' name.